You're listening to Fowler Success Safe at Home. In this podcast series, we are interviewing SDSU alumni to get their perspectives on COVID-19, working from home, and what they think SDSU students need to know in order to navigate the workplace in the new normal. In today's episode, we're talking to Stu Massengill, a national trainer for Tony Robbins, as well as the founder of the Finding Direction podcast and the Finding Direction University. Stu graduated from SDSU with a bachelor's in business management with an emphasis in entrepreneurship in 2019. Welcome to another episode of Fowler Success. Uh, Today we're talking to Stu Massengill. Stu is currently a national trainer for Tony Robbins and is also currently the founder and creator of the Finding Direction podcast and the Finding Direction University. And he graduated with a bachelor's in business in management with an emphasis in entrepreneurship in 2019. Uh, thank you for joining us, Stu. Happy to have you here. Yeah, absolutely, Tim. It's it's an honor to be here, man. I uh, massively appreciate it. I'm looking forward to our conversation. All right, awesome. Since uh, the focus of these Zoom conversations, uh, given the you know the state of the world, a lot of this yeah. has to do with COVID-19, uh, but some of this is more broad kind of advice. So we'll start with some of like the current changes kind of questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. So you've spent several years working in meetings, in events industry, right? How has this COVID moment changed that space? And what of these changes do you see as temporary? And which ones do you think are going to be more permanent? Yeah, I think the kind of the biggest shift where it really all started with was how people reacted to the situation. Because COVID's been crazy to say the least like we're we're both in california i'm in san diego still and we just got the amber alert earlier that was like official we're all on lockdown again right so it's like the world's going through the crazy stuff and we're in the event business i am with tony robbins where we usually get ten thousand people together in an event and i think some people when this happened it was like our life's ruined and other people went okay this is a speed bump this is a hurdle as any entrepreneur does how can we overcome this pivot and figure out how to adapt and continue to grow the business. And so sort of what we've done and how we've seen the events space change is we've, as a company, built basically a fully virtual immersive stadium. Um, Not everybody has those resources, I understand that, but we've shifted it to doing this virtually now because we can't do in-stadium events anymore. And the craziest shift that I've seen that I think is the biggest positive out of this is before, let's say you have a live in-person event. Let's say you do it in San Diego. Only people from San Diego can come to that event, right? Maybe some people from LA come, some people from Orange County, you know, your reach isn't as far versus once you go into the virtual platform, now you can reach the world. And so that's been the biggest shift is just really opening up the reach, I think. And so I think as we shift back into whatever the, quote unquote, normal will become. Um, I think we'll eventually get back to doing in-person things again, but we will absolutely continue to still be doing this virtual way of reaching people because it's just a bigger way you can reach people. Yeah, that's really interesting. I've heard from other people as well that, you know, they're getting greater attendance in events because of, 
you know, the geographic limitations are taken off. Like right. I've gone to conferences in South Carolina, North Carolina, virtually since this yeah. started. And that it's interesting that you see the demand for kind of like the blended experience being something that's going to be totally. you know, important going forward. I guess that leads pretty well into this next question, which is, you know, in addition to being a national trainer for Tony Robbins, you've been working on your pod, your Finding Direction podcast and yeah. launching the Finding Direction University. So in this kind of environment and going forward, do you see an increased demand for content? And do you think that these like online learning opportunities are going to stay important, you know, once everything goes back? Yeah. Yeah. I think absolutely. I think this is kind of a, um, like a conscious opening that's happened. It's sort of like you look at the work from home situation where now companies can no longer say, Hey, if you work from home, you won't be as productive. People have proved you can work from home and be productive. So I think now that these sort of, uh, opportunities have been opened up virtually, even as things go back to whatever this normal will begin. Um, I definitely don't think these opportunities will go away. And I think this space is just going to continue to like massively grow because people will see the opportunity there. Yeah. And I mean, that's really interesting that you see, you know, that there's so much potential for growth here. Right. And you work for Tony Robbins, who's pretty much a household name in business. <laughs> yeah. right? uh, and outside of the work that you've done, uh, are there anything that Tony, is there anything that Tony is doing or that another trainer or somebody else in the Tony Robbins organization is doing that you found inspiring or innovative in response to, to all these changes? Yeah, I think the biggest thing that I've seen that he's done and other <laughs> successful people in the world have done is it's easy to get caught up in this COVID things happening. How do I get back to normal? The reality is if you have that focus, you're not going to be able to adapt and grow. And so the beautiful thing that I've seen that Tony's done and some other people in the industry have done is by allowing yourself to let go of that and start to look at, well, what opportunities could this mean, right? How is life happening for me, not to me, right? It's like now, six months ago, we never thought we would be doing events. Like we're doing, we're doing an event right now. There's people in Australia that wake up at one in the morning and they do the event until four in the afternoon and then they sleep from four in the afternoon until midnight, they wake up and they do another day. And it's like, people are so committed to that. And it's so crazy that you would never think that would be a real thing until you are forced to figure it out. So I think it's just allowing yourself to let go of normal, right? Just stop wondering when it's going to be normal, how it's going to be normal, if it's going to go back to normal and figure out how can you adapt and shift. And I think that's the biggest thing I've seen Tony do um, in, in a pretty incredible way. That, and that's wild to think like with that huge time change, right? And I guess that the point you made that's really interesting and kind of the big point is that this is really not a temporary change in some things. It's a per, it's more of a paradigm shift and that certain that things that are happening are going to stay around. But change is hard, right? Like what have been, even if you're, you know, adept at dealing with change, change is hard. What have been the most difficult aspects of this, do you think, for you uh, professionally as well as personally? Yeah, um, there's a quote. I'm going to butcher it a little bit, but and I have no idea who said it, <laughs> so we can maybe look it up later, but it's, 
it's the the illiterate in the 21st century won't be those who can't read and write. It'll be those who can't learn, unlearn, and relearn. And so I think the biggest challenge, and it was a challenge for me at first as well, was looking at how do we unlearn everything that we've done over the last several years because we've been in the, that sort of a world and we've now transitioned into this world. So how do we learn that? We learned it once. How do we unlearn it and now relearn to what we're doing now? Because, and this is kind of a continuous conversation, but it's like, sometimes we get so caught up, we get so stuck in, this is how I did it. This is how are things supposed to be. This is how things go. Um, that that stops us from the actual opportunity. And one thing that I would say is like a really simple tool that people can um, use in their life to start to shift the results they're getting is one of the distinctions Tony made and he's worked with 50 million people now. So a lot of people, you're going to learn a lot. And one of the things he's found out is that every moment of our life, we are making three decisions and they have a massive controlling force over our life. And the three decisions is number one, what are you going to focus on? Number two is what is the meaning that you're going to give it? And then number three, most importantly, what are you going to do about it? Right? In life, 10% is what happens to us and 90% is what we do to it, what we do about it, right? So like, let's say we have two people, COVID happened and they're in the event space, right? Just to take this as an example, one person, the focus they give it is, oh my God, we can't do events. How are we going to get back to doing events? How are we, how are we going to fix this? Another person goes, we can't do events. How can we adjust? How can we pivot? How can we shift, right? And so there's two different focuses the meaning they give it, one person is this could be the death of our business. The other person, the, the meaning they give it is this could be a way we grow our impact in our business. And then the actions they take from that clearly are going to be different actions. So I would say for someone who's listening to this, you really want to start to ask yourself, well, over the last six months or over the last three months, over the last month, over the last week, what are you predominantly focusing on? What is the meaning you're attaching to that? And then ultimately, what are the actions you're taking from that? And if you can shift your focus, you can shift your meaning, you can shift your actions, ultimately shifting the results that you're getting. Yeah, that's really interesting. There's like, I, I really like that point a lot. And there's a, I guess like a really famous quote from uh, Henry Ford. That's like fortune favors the prepared mind, right? You, hmm, you, you can't, can, you have not a hundred percent control over your situation, but the more, you know, prepared you are and adaptable you are, the better you're going to react to the, the, changing situation yeah 100 percent. uh and you know you you recently pretty recently graduated from you yeah. know the program here and and i guess my idea of business education or what you know what business education means at sdsu is learning how to learn and what's and learning kind of the foundational skills that you can refine and retool and apply uh what aspects do you think of the business education that you got here at San Diego State have been, you know, most beneficial to you since you've entered, you know, the workspace? Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me was really making SDSU like a playground. Um, and what I mean by that is like SDSU gives you such an incredible platform to play, to try, to taste, to experiment. And I'm a massive believer that the way you figure out what you want to do with your life, the way that you build clarity in your life is you try a ridiculous amount of things. And eventually you're going to figure out, I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like that. But this actually lights me up. And so the biggest thing for me, I would say, um, was twofold. When I went to San Diego state, I literally would throw events. 
Like I would go around to classrooms and say, Hey, I'm going to throw this event. It's all about communication and networking. And I would promote it. We'd get like 50 people there. We did it two times. Um, and it, it was, it gave me an opportunity to, tr to try, right? I think that's the most important thing is trying and experimenting while you're there. The second thing that I would say was most powerful was, was the network and like leveraging the student card you have, because like your life will like the life's the doors you open for yourself, the opportunities you create will come back to your network and who, you know, and how strong of a relationship you have with those people. And so as you're a student, you have such an incredible playing card to be able to go to anyone in SDSU's network and even people outside of SDSU's network and say, Hey, you know, I'm a student right now at SDSU. Um, I would love it if I could take you to lunch, if I could pick your brain and just ask you a couple questions about how you got to where you are. And some people now may go, okay, COVID, Stu, we can't take people to lunch or someone's in a different state. What I teach the people that I work with is take them to virtual lunch, right? And like create an experience, say like, Hey, Tim, I want to take you to lunch to pick you to pick your brain. I'm going to send DoorDash to your door. Just tell me what you want for lunch. I'll have it sent to your door. So you get the food you want. Now it's free. You got to eat lunch anyway. Now you get to do it with a friend and I can pick your brain. Right. And it's like, then that gives you an opportunity to network. So I would say the playground aspect of it. Um, and then most importantly, really was just the, the networking that, that you can do from, um, everything SDSU gives you. Yeah, the networking aspect, I think, is like a great point. One of the people I interviewed in this uh, series earlier on who works in a kind of talent acquisition capacity, huh. all he said, you know, it never hurts to ask, right? If you want to yeah. work somewhere, ask somebody and that works there what they're looking for and kind of the idea of you get these internship opportunities and in the curriculum, you have the opportunity to even apply these to classes, right? So you kind of have these, ex what we call in higher ed, experiential learning opportunities, right. which is that, that playground concept. And while you were here, you were active in the Lavin Entrepreneurship yeah. Center, which also runs the Zip Launchpad, which, uh, you know, where faculty and other people around campus mentor aspiring startups and yeah. help them get to launch phases. Uh, when you utilized, you know, the Lavin Center, how do you think that experience, you know, prepared you? What aspects of that did you think were most beneficial? Yeah, I think, um, again, kind of twofold. One, the Lavin, and, and shout out if you haven't met Alex DeNoble or Bernie Schroeder, um, go Take them, go take them to lunch, take them to a virtual lunch. You pick their brain, they'll teach you a massive amount. Um, and they're kind of the two people that have sort of um, led the Lavin program over the last decade now or several years. And I would say the two biggest things is like, one, they really give you more of a hands-on approach of like entrepreneurship and building business. So that is a massive part, again, dabbling into experiential learning, right? You're, you're not just going to sit in a classroom and say, oh, if you you know, theory, if you build a business, how do you do X, Y, and Z? They're like, no, let's build a business. Let's do it. Right. And you're going to learn more that way. So I would say that was one big aspect, um, was just building and, and playing around in that space. And then the second thing is the lab. And I think kind of gave me, and I think it gives a lot of the people in the lab and program like a, um, a exclamation point at the end of your networking journey. 
And sort of what I mean by that is just by being in the lab and network, you're exposed to other people that are mentors for that program. So that gives you an incredible opportunity to network with them. And then again, as you meet anyone else, you can sort of leverage the Lavin program as a thing within SDSU's network. Because a lot of people that are alumni or things like that, especially if they're an entrepreneur, they know what Lavin is. So if they hear, oh, you're one of, you know, 30 Lavin students that they selected this year, people are going to go, okay, well, like, you know, I would love to have a conversation with you. So that's, that's kind of two things I would say that the Lavin really helped me with. And one thing to kind of just go back on the question before that, um, when talking about like the biggest benefits of SDSU, I think as we dabble into this experiential learning again, it's like internships. Like I, I thought my dream was to work in the action sports industry, right? We were talking about this before. Um, and I was like, if I could work for an action sports company, like my life would be so sick. I would love life. I would like wake up every day and be like, oh my God, I can't believe this is my life. And so I got an internship at Vans through my network at SDSU. And while I was working there, it is the most kick-ass culture. I don't know if I can say that. Sorry. It's a, a it's an unbelievable culture. Um, and it was really cool. But when I worked there, the biggest thing that kind of kicked in for me is I went, oh my God, I love doing action sports, but I don't actually love working in the space. What I want to do is actually want to help directly pour into people and kind of um, go into the personal development industry. But it was like, because I tasted that and went through a, I think it was like a 12 week internship. I got to have that clarity so that when I did graduate now I was like, okay, I'm not going to try to go get in the actual sports industry. I'm going to go to the personal development space. So I think that's another massive thing. Fowler success safe at home is brought to you by the San Diego state university library in the Fowler college of business with the support of the university grants program. If you are interested in seeing the video recordings of these conversations, as well as additional library resources for career research, please go to the library's website, which is library.sdsu.edu, and look for the Career and Job Resources Guide under the Research Guide section of the website. Yeah, I think that's really, you know, great advice, because I... I one of the mentors at Zip, Chris Holbrook, he he told me, he's like, the students that come through here really benefit, even if the business doesn't work, because they learn something real, right? They learn yeah, totally. market dynamics. And, you know, even though Vans has such a cool history and stuff, it's still a product business. And ultimately, yeah. at the end of the day, you're selling shoes and clothes. So yeah. it's about, the product isn't helping people per se, right? So like, right. What, whatever your role is, you know, kind of dictates what you're doing. So having the options to kind of, you know, see the dynamics of how different positions in a business work through the entrepreneurship or like getting internships is super valuable. Yeah. And I would say that is not me uh, putting Vans down. If you want to work for a really cool company, go get an internship or go work for Vans. They're an unbelievable culture, a really cool company. Yeah, you can't buy that history, you know, like I mean, yeah. hey, Adams wore your shoes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And and I guess uh, the other piece that we really want to kind of dive into here is, you know, your entrepreneurial experience and how this could benefit other students. You know, so prior to working with Tony Robbins, uh, you also started a, a action sports uh, industry company, and then you were the founder of a health and wellness network, which are two, you know, pretty 
dissimilar businesses if you're just looking broadly uh with working with you know two very different types of businesses what were your key takeaways from these experiences that you you know applied to both and what lessons uh from there uh, you know applied to what you think most you know entrepreneurial business kind of settings yeah i think the biggest common denominator was throughout either of those businesses and throughout any business I will continue to grow and, and build is it all comes back to working on yourself, right? I, I work for, you know, some would say the number one success coach on the planet, right? He has multiple companies, multiple billion in revenue. And some of the biggest things I've learned through that, that I've seen were things that I did back in those businesses is that in your business, you want to first and foremost, understand that your psychology is the chokehold on your business, right? So if, if your business is at, you know, whatever sales it is, and you want to go to the next level, your psychology is the chokehold. And as you look at business specifically, 80% of any success in any business comes back to psychology. And then 20% is the mechanics. And so throughout both of those businesses, the biggest emphasis that I had that is a common denominator, I would say, is that I hyper-focused on this 80% of how can I grow my mind? How can I grow myself? And as you grow yourself, you will notice that your business starts to grow because one of the most unbelievable things someone ever taught me, and this was sort of early on in my entrepreneur endeavors, is that you want to understand as an entrepreneur that you will never, and not just as an entrepreneur, as anything in life, that you are not paid for your time. You're never paid for your time. And that sounds crazy to people, but what you are actually paid for is you are paid for the value you add to the marketplace, right? So if you're going around and you're adding a little bit of value, that's why either your business or your job is paying you a little bit of money because it, you have a little bit of value. If you can grow your value as a human being by working on yourself, by default, someone has to pay you more because you are more valuable to the market, right? So that's the biggest thing I think is working on yourself and growing yourself, growing your value. And as you do that, innately, whatever business you're in, that's going to grow as well. Or whatever job you're at, you will get a promotion quicker because you are more valuable. Yeah, that's really interesting that the self work is such a crucial piece of it because you hit on, you know, kind of like two really big points, which is that the business makes money, not based on your time, like an hourly wage. It's how you yeah. can add value to the market and you either have to you know be adding a personal touch that is you know some like some kind of intangible that people are willing to pay more for or right that you've worked hard enough on figuring out how to add value to the product or service right, right. and and like a, a simple example could be let's say your psychology in an unconscious level is i want to be really successful but i'm scared to fail what happens, and this happens a lot of the time in entrepreneurs, and it happens sometimes at an un unconscious level, sometimes it's conscious, is we as a human being, we move either towards pleasure or away from pain. So what happens is if you want success, but you are afraid to fail, those two are obviously go together to be successful, is you'll take two steps forward towards success and you'll go, oh, but I don't want to fail. So then you take three steps back. And if you don't do that internal work, then it's going to be harder to become successful. So that's like kind of a, a simple example of some of the things that may unconsciously be happening if you don't take the time to work on your internal self. 
Yeah. So I guess my question is, is uh, how, how, where would someone start? Like if you're talking to students looking to do this work, where would be yeah. the starting point? Uh, I would say two, two, three places. Um, first, you could go to YouTube and I'm going to give you two names and I would just listen to them. The first is this guy named Jim Rohn, J-I-M-R-O-H-N. And he is like the OG of personal development. Um, just Google him. He talks very weird. So get be prepared for that. I'll, I'll give you a head start. He talks a little bit weird, but his knowledge is profound. The second thing I would say is start to look up Tony Robbins on YouTube, or you can um, get some of his books. If you want, you can come to one of his programs. And then the third thing I would say is um, go check out Finding Direction podcast because we got a lot of value there too. I love the plug, right? <laughs> yeah, shameless of, plug. <laughs> yeah, but that's part of the reason you're here. You know, we're, you're, we're getting SDSU alumni to give advice to other SDSU students soon to be alumni, right? Right. right. Uh, so this kind of gets into the more practical, some of the more like quick practical advice uh, questions. Right now, there's a lot of uncertainty, especially, you know, for people just graduating, right? Yeah. Uh, what advice do you have for those students, you know, entering the workforce or entering the entrepreneurial space right now in the midst of this? If you had like one, two sentence bit of advice for people in that situation. Yeah. Stand out from the pack. Um, and I'll, I'll keep it concise, but so many people graduate and they go through the traditional process of let me apply for a job, get a job that way. I'm under the belief you want to leverage your network, not go through the job application process. And what I mean by that is at SDSU, you've either built somewhat of a network and there's something that, again, not to go down too deep of a rabbit hole, but there's things called strong ties and loose ties. Strong ties are your best friends. Loose ties are your acquaintances. And what they found out through studies is that oftentimes it's your loose ties, the people that are your acquaintances that open doors that change your life. So what I would say is figure out who are the people you know that are associated with the industry that you want to be in and how can you reach out to them? How can you network with them? And if there's one thing that you, that you say to them that'll make you stand out is whatever way you reach out to them, whether it's email, probably email, um, you want to ask them at some point in that email, hey, how can I add value to what it is you're working on? Is there anything you're working on that I can support? Can I add value to you? Can I volunteer for your organization? Um, just, just to add value, because when someone sees that, most people will reach out and say, hey, um, I know you, you know, we met at this one time, like, is there any way you could get me a job at this place? Or is there any way, you know, you could hook me up um, and get me connected here? It's like, so many people ask them that you want to separate yourself from the pack by saying, how can I add value? And another way you could separate yourself is say, hey, again, I want to take you to virtual lunch, I'll buy you lunch. And that can open that conversation um, where then you can sort of create that opportunity to, to start working for that company. So I would say that's a simple way to do it. And I would say, as we're in this COVID world, you can stand out more in the pack because a lot of people are freezing, right? Again, we go back to that 80% psychology, right? 80% of success in life is psychology. A lot of people may be graduating and going, oh, I don't know what to do. So complexity is the enemy of execution. So I'm just not going to do anything. So if you execute on that, um, you may be able to even get a better job than you could have 
if we were in a quote unquote normal world? Yeah. So I guess like uh, to sum that up, what, what you were kind of saying was, so show initiative let and leverage your network and not, you know, the immediate network that you would think yeah. and figure out how to communicate that value effectively. Right. So I guess that leads to the next question, which is, you know, really what you do professionally, which is you're getting, when you're communicating in the business world, you have to always communicate no matter what your role to prospective clients, customers, other employees. Uh, so what advice would you give to recent alumni uh, that need to sharpen those communication skills in, in regards to crafting their message uh, that, that they're trying to get across? And this is with public speaking or more so just having conversations? Just uh, having conversations, email, yeah. you know, uh, in various mediums. Yeah. So a very, very simple um, structure that I'll give you that you can use for communication. And this massively changed every aspect of my life. This is probably the most profound thing I've ever learned in my life. Um, because I grew up as the shy kid. I grew up as the introverted, quiet kid. Um that had no idea how to have conversations with people. I was truly just, I didn't know what people talked about. Um, but when I learned this, it started the process of becoming a better communicator and networker. And it's a really simple acronym. It's called FORM. And it's F-O-R-M. And what it is, is it is a building block for communication. And so basically the F stands for from or family. The O stands for occupation. The R stands for recreation and the M stands for motivation. And so all it is, is when you're having a conversation with someone, you ask them, oh, where are you from? Right? Oh, you know, does your family live here? Right? You go to, oh, occupation. Oh, what do you do for work? You know, R, recreation. What do you do for fun? M, what are your dreams, goals, aspiration, motivation? Right? And what will happen is you'll start to build a conversation in that. And I would say, if you want to go from having a conversation to connecting with someone, is the biggest thing you want to do is you want to find a common ground of interest. And if you just think for two seconds about your best friend in the world, the reason they're your best friend is because you have massive amounts of common grounds of interest with them, right? You both like the same things. So therefore you feel safe around them and you like them, right? So people's favorite thing in the world is themselves. And so if you can show them you're like them, they're going to like you more. And then in turn, as we go back into this networking process, they're going to want to help you more because they feel like you're like them, right? So those are a couple simple things I would say you can start using is use form, right? Write out a couple questions that you could put in each letter and then use that as a building block of communication. And if you want to take it from a communication to a connection, see how you can build a common ground of interest with people on those and, and really start to relate to them there. Yeah. And that's really interesting. I mean, that ties back to kind of one of the uh, points we were talking about with like SDSU being a network, right? Because yeah. the, that immediate connection when you're reaching out to those people is your commonality of experience at college, right? Right. Yeah, uh, exactly. Which is a huge one of those, you know, pieces of form. Yeah. It's like, uh, oh, you went to SDSU. I went to SDSU. It's like, oh, awesome. Let's, let's go hang out. <laughs> exactly. And then there's, uh, you know, obviously, that sort of one-on-one -on -one communication connection and small group communications, that those are, you know, really viable strategies. But I guess this leads into the 
the next question, which you were kind of alluding to before, which is public speaking, right? Like yeah. in the workplace, you're going to have to do public speaking, whether it's internal or external, you know, you're probably going to have to do some sort of presentation of a project or a report. And what do you see as the most fundamental strategies for effective public speaking since you speak to so many <laughs> yeah people. so i would say sort of what makes the difference between someone who crushes it when public speaking and someone who doesn't is someone who comes from their head versus someone that comes from their heart and so if someone's in their head my mentor tony always says if you're in your head you're dead right and so oftentimes public speaking is the biggest fear in the world they say it's like it's number two behind it is like being burned alive which is insane and the reason people hate public speaking sometimes, and it used to be my biggest fear. I used to definitely did not think it would ever be my profession. Um, but it's because people, when they go to speak, they're wondering what are other people thinking of them, right? And now there's 20 eyeballs on you, let's say, right? Or 50 eyeballs, 100 eyeballs, however many, 10 eyeballs, five eyeballs, whatever it is. And people get so caught up in their head wondering, what are they thinking of me? What are they thinking of me? What are they thinking of me? And they get so caught up in that, that they can't go into their heart and actually speak on what they want to talk about. So one of my mentors, what I was taught is there's something called the 1840-80 rule. And what it means in short is that when you're 18, you care what everybody thinks about you. And then eventually you get to 40 and you're like, screw it. I don't care what anybody thinks about me. I'm done with this. I don't care about what anybody thinks about me. And then you get to 80 and you go, holy crap, nobody was thinking about me the whole time. And so what you want to understand is that most people, they aren't, I don't want to say thinking, but a lot of people are in an unconscious loop. And so when you're giving a presentation, if people are really thinking, oftentimes they're not actually thinking about you. They're thinking about a million other things that are going on in their life and their day. And so you just want to understand that don't go up and speak and wonder, what are they thinking about me? Wondering how can I stay in my heart and how can I truly serve the message of whatever it is that I want to talk about, right? So that's a simple way to kind of go from your heart, from your head into your heart. And then just understanding the process that, and this, uh, I, don't, I don't really know the nice way to put it, but at first you're probably not going to do, you're not going to be the greatest. You know what I mean? Like the first time I gave a presentation, I had a note card. I put it in my pocket. It was in front of four people, four of my friends. And I was sweating through my shirt. I felt like I was going to piss my pants halfway through this, the presentation. I pulled the note card out and started reading it. It was so, so, so awful. But my mentor, he always told me that a crappy plan today is better than a perfect plan tomorrow because tomorrow doesn't exist. And so I just made a crappy plan. And how can I give my first speech? And it went really bad. But then I did it again. And 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 eventually I did it enough times that I got good at it. So I would say those are, those are kind of two basic things you can do to start helping you move in the wheels in that process. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that, right? And it's it's refreshing to hear, you know, somebody who wasn't initially, you know, keen on public speaking. Yeah, it was my biggest fear. I hated public. I was like, there's no way I'm ever getting in front of a room. Screw that. That is no, no, no. It, which, yeah, it's wild. It's a learned skill, right? It's like how comics go up and bomb while they're working through Joe. Yeah, kudos to comics. You guys are champions. Yeah. That's and, crazy. And it's interesting too that you said uh, it. people are worried about what people are thinking of you. And yeah. I have to speak in front of classes and the way I think of it, it's, it's the message, not the medium. People are there 
to hear what I have to say. They don't necessarily care about me personally, right? And yeah. Is something that I've thought about. But that kind of, you made that point, right? That is staying on message and yeah. making sure that the message is good is really where you, that sweet spot where you want to be. Exactly. Uh, and I guess, you know, now speaking, you know, through all these different technologies kind of mediating uh, public speaking has yeah. probably had an impact on the way that you approach things, right? Because the the way that you receive the information, you know, probably has an impact on how you process it. So have you seen any challenges of, you know, communicating through different mediums and with, you know, us speaking on Zoom right now, yeah. you know, this is pretty apropos and like how do you keep up with all these changes and make sure that you're doing the right things across all these different channels yeah so in regards to like public speaking um and like transitioning sort of into the virtual speaking world versus the in-person speaking world they're two i wouldn't say totally different worlds but have different aspects and again one thing i would say is as you dive into this you want to find how can you separate yourself because Zoom, I, I make jokes with people. It's like, we're going to put Zoom on our resume. You know, we're going to be like in 2020, I did 10,000 Zooms, right? Um, but it's like, most people get on a Zoom call and it's a very informative session. People sit back, they listen passively. And when that happens, retention's about 10%. So it's, people aren't really retaining that much. So what I've done and what we've really adapted to in our sessions is we have people, they're engaging in their bodies, they're standing up, they're using their body, they're shouting answers back, they're taking notes, they're writing in the chat box, they're engaging in all these different ways because that's how you take it from a sort of surface level learning to a nervous level learning um, is by engaging in all these different ways. And when you do that, now when you have sort of a virtual session that you're um, leading, people walk away from that going, oh my God, that's different than anything I've ever been on. And they're gonna remember the content for that reason, just because it was different and also because of the different elements you've put into it. So I would say those are a couple of really like staples as far as how we've um, taken it onto this new sort of medium with Zoom. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's really interesting. We've had similar challenges in higher ed, right? And it's interactivity, right? Because yeah. it's a lot harder to replicate in the, in the virtual space. Yeah. And, and just interesting things like, all right, if you understood that, like, raise your hand and say yes. And it's like, it's silly things like that, but it's like when people do that, it's like, okay, if, if you hear what I'm saying, raise your hand. And, and it's like, people do that, they're going to start to stay more engaged. So it's, you know, there's just little different ways to do it and play around with it and continuously learn. Well, this has been, you know, a great conversation. And I think there's going to be a lot of useful things here for the, you know, the students to pick up yeah. on uh, that they're going to, you know, take into their post-graduation life. Uh, I just want to thank you again for joining us, Stu, Absolutely. for the latest episode of Fowler Success Safe at Home. Thank you for listening to this episode of Fowler Success Safe at Home. Follow us for more stories from alumni about navigating the workplace in the new normal.